Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? Uh, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online as we start a new fall series entitled Momentum Through the Finish Line. It's basically a study of the book from the Old Testament of Second Chronicles. And I love this theme of Momentum Through the Finish Line because our church, PFB, has what I like to call marathoner DNA. We are not a sprinter church. We are a long-distance church. We have marathon or DNA. We may not be the flashiest church around, but we are one of the most steady slow and steady obedience in the same direction over the last 143 years. This may sound like an arrogant statement, but I really believe I can back it up with data and, and with, with information and research. And that is uh, there are only a handful of churches in the history of Christianity, in the history of the church over the last 2,000 years that have had the kind of track record over the last 143 years that ours has. There are many churches that minister on fire for a generation or two and then flame out, or they've gone kind of at this level for a while, and then they have a couple of good generations and then go back to the other. At very few churches, only a handful of churches in church history in the last 2,000 years uh, have had a 143-year run of effectiveness for Christ like our church has. And this series is all building up. It's all building up to October 20th. Please mark that date in your calendar. Be, do everything you can to be in town that day. That is going to be like our in-house Easter Sunday, October 20th, where we talk about what do we need to keep doing to keep the momentum that we've had for 143 years and to keep it going until G, right through the finish line until Christ returns. Six weeks from today, October 20th, I hope you'll do everything you can uh, to be here on that that day. Now, I just love this whole, there's, there's a finish line here. Maybe you can see that, or I guess when the cameras look down on it, you can see that I'm standing on a finish line. We've got our graphic here. We've got our momentum uh, graphics uh, here behind me. And I thought what would really be inspirational is for me to wear today one of my old track shirts. That's, a, that's what I considered. Now, uh, I ran on an American team in the 1,500 meters in the summer of 78 in Eastern Europe. So I was part of an American uh, track team that ran against in countries like Poland and Czechoslovakia in Romania and Austria and, and, and countries like that. But, you know, just uh, holding up my United States uh, jersey, I just don't think it's going to fit anymore. What, what, do, what do you guys think, you know? If I ever want to gross out my kids, like whenever we do the 5K together as a family in Claremont on Thanksgiving morning, I come out with this on, and they like, Dad, please, you're destroying my appetite for Thanksgiving dinner, so uh, please don't do that. Now, there are two keys to keeping our momentum going. One is to keep rekindling our first love. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, you've lost your first love. So over 143 years, we as a church have, keep, have had need to keep rekindling our first love. In your Christian walk, to finish well, you got to keep rekindling that first love. And then the second thing is to remain grounded in God's word. Because it is in God's word that we find encouragement to keep running the race and also warnings as to things that will cause us to stumble in running the race. So the subtitle of the series is Keys to Finishing Well. And in Second Chronicles, we're going to look at a bunch of different kings who started well but did not finish well. The first we're going to look at is Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is one of the guys in the Bible talked about more than any other that we know the least about or we talk the least about. There are 11 chapters in the Bible devoted to Hezekiah. Four chapters in 2 Chronicles, four chapters in 2 Kings, three chapters in the book of Isaiah, 302 verses. I would encourage you, there's about 52 verses in our study outline. We're just going to deal with a few of them uh, here today, but read through those more carefully in your Bible reading time this week. Maybe go through and read all 11 chapters 
about Hezekiah in your Bible reading uh, this upcoming week. Usually, Hezekiah is just like a prank that pastors pull on their congregations. I think this is the oldest prank around. I think that Paul pulled it on the church of Antioch two thousand, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. You say, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hezekiah. And then you see how many people actually do it because there is no book of Hezekiah. There's Haggai, there's Zechariah. So in your mind, you think there must be a Hezekiah because there's Haggai and Zechariah. There is a person Hezekiah. There is no book of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, strong start. Number one, he led Judah in a revival. It says in verse one of Second Chronicles 29, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. Let's camp on that for just a moment. You know, it's not just how we run the race in our Christian life. It is not just how we finish our race in the Christian life. It also involves an effective relay pass from our generation to the next generation. Yesterday, Eric Holstrom, the newest member of our pastoral team, our high school pastor, I heard him just sharing a a tremendous overview of his vision for sharing the gospel with the next generation, to have an effective relay baton pass from one generation to the next. And I just sat there as he shared, just saying to myself, God, help us to do a good relay pass. Help us. Uh, He's 26 years old. But for the 25-year-old Hezekiahs of our church family, for the 26-year-old Eric Holstroms, help us to mobilize, to do everything we can to support him in passing the gospel from our generation to the next because it's only as effective as the relay baton pass. Um, Just a couple of months ago in Moscow at the United States, uh, at the World Championships, uh, in track and field. We'll put that picture up there. And the uh, Americans in the four by 100 meters, we were ahead with three of the legs down with one leg to go. But we had a bad relay baton pass between leg three and number four and against the Jamaicans and Usain Bolt. That is not a good thing. You need your final guy to have a lead, preferably a 100-meter lead in the 100-meter leg would be the most uh, the best uh, leg of all. But they actually had a lead, and they were going to be able to give their anchor guy a lead against Usain Bolt. And yet, because of a poor relay pass, they didn't. And as a result, the Jamaicans uh, won that race. And the same thing is true. Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. Our church's effective, 143-year effective ministry is always just one generation away from losing that first love, losing our vision. Vision leaks, love leaks, passion leaks, and we have to keep rekindling it in order to keep our momentum. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Not his literal father, but his spiritual father in the line of David. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Now, it is so awesome how the Holy Spirit orchestrates what we study here on Sunday morning. I'm just, I never cease to be amazed by it. I'll admit to you, the reason I picked this particular study of Second Chronicles is because a book, uh, Kathy Geesty Wimbish and I are, are writing a book, and it's, Lord, hopefully coming out at the end of this series based on the material in this series from Second Chronicles. And so that's kind of why I timed it in this way. But it's amazing how it syncs with our momentum campaign that we're going to introduce on October 20th. It's unbelievable to me how almost every king you look at, it just jumps off the page. When revival happened in Israel, it always manifested itself, almost always, 
in repairing the temple or restoring or renewing the temple. And this campaign is, is a debt elimination campaign, but it's also a facility enhancement campaign for our whole campus, a whole a face of overview, uh, you know, the whole thing, just kind of uh, making it shine. And what you find in the Old Testament is when people walk by the temple, if it was in disrepair, if it didn't look that good from the outside, people would say, those people don't love God very much. And it was true. But whenever they got fired up about God, whenever they got excited about God, they restored, renewed, refreshed the temple. And people would walk by and say, those people must really be on fire for God because look at the temple. And that's like the, the thing that they almost always do in Israel when they have a revival. He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. And in six weeks from today, on October 20th, we're going to share how we're going to put that biblical principle into place in our church. He led Judah in a revival. Number two, he led the people in worship. Number three, under Hezekiah's leadership, God gave them unity. Uh, the writer of Chronicles kind of sees him as a second Solomon. Solomon uh, unified Israel around 1,000 to 900 um, B.C. And here, two to 300 years later, in 700 B.C., Hezekiah does the same thing. If you skip down to verse 12 in 2 Chronicles 30, it says, Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. Notice the progression here. The people had unity of mind. Why? Because they were carrying out the vision of the leadership and which were following the word of the Lord. So you follow the word of the Lord, you mobilize uh, behind the leadership, you have unity of mind, and then God fulfills his purpose uh, amongst a group of people. And so he led them uh, to a time of great unity. My friend Tom Mercer, who's pastor of a fantastic church, High Desert Church up in Victorville, he said he's seen God use all kinds of churches. He's seen God use big churches, small churches. He's seen God use charismatic churches and non-charismatic churches. He's seen God use suburban churches, urban churches, rural churches. The one type of church he's never seen God use is a disunified church. God blesses unified believers, and he withholds his blessing where there is disunity. So under Hezekiah's leadership, God gave them unity. And then number four, he had a ministry of encouragement. It says in verse 22, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. And then number five, under his leadership, the people were generous. Now this passage right here is the fantasy dream passage of our executive pastor, Peter Torrey. When he dreams at night, he dreams about this passage right here. It says, as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits. They tithed. And as a result, if, if you look down at the end of verse 6, it says they piled the offering up in, can anybody tell me that word? Can they look ahead and see that? Heaps. That's Peter's dream right there where they're piling up the offering in heaps. Now, it's easier to have a heap when you have things like wine and grain and oil and all that kind of stuff. It's harder to heap online giving. It's harder to heap uh, offering envelopes. But the principle's the same. They were so generous in their tithing and in the giving of the first fruits that they piled the offering in heaps. And it says they all praise God because of these heaps that God had laid it on the hearts of his people to give. If you turn to the next page in your study outline and then move on to verse 27. It says, in everything that he, Hezekiah, undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God 
and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. Boy, there's, there's the formula for success in the Christian life. He sought his God. God, what do you want with my life? He worked wholeheartedly for that purpose that God had given him, and so he prospered. Number six, Hezekiah got rid of anything that would compete with God for his love and loyalty. It's not about doing the right things in the Christian life. It's about stop doing other things. Now, if you look at 2 Kings 18, verse 4, it says he removed the high places. Now, this is so interesting because if you've ever read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, here's one thing that'll just drive you crazy. Every time they had a good king, the king would destroy the idols that the people were worshiping. And it would always end with, but he didn't get rid of the high places. And this goes on again and again and again. Destroyed all the idols, but he did this one, he didn't do this one thing, didn't destroy the high places. And after you read that about a dozen times, you're like, will somebody destroy the high places? Please, somebody out there. Well, Hezekiah was that guy. It says he removed the high places. Now, what, 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 what's, that, what's that all about? You see, what the other kings would do, they'd go the first mile, which was to get rid of the idols. But Hezekiah went the second mile. The high places is where they worship the one true God. They worship the true God on these mountaintops or on these hilltops around Jerusalem and throughout Judea. They worship the true God. They just did it in the wrong place and in the wrong way. See, he was only supposed to be worshiped at the temple in Jerusalem. And for convenience sake, because they felt like it, they also worshiped him on the high places. So the first mile that the other kings took was to get rid of the idol worship. But the extra mile that Hezekiah went was to not only worship the right God, but to worship him in the right way. Not only to do away with the wrong gods, but to do away with worshiping the right God in the wrong way. And in our Christian lives, that's the difference between uh, regular Christians and extra mile Christians. Probably something to do with what Pastor Brian's going to be speaking about on Thursday nights. Okay, this is what true disciples do. You see, Christians will make sure they're worshiping the right God. But true disciples of Christ, you, you know what you do when you're just ordinary Christian? You worship the right God. You got the right book. You got God's book, the Bible. But we pick and choose what we believe out of it. We pick and choose what we change our worldview about concerning what's in here. And little by little, we bend God's word to our lifestyle and what we are comfortable believing. We worship the right God, but at the high place of our convenience, rather than going down to the temple in Jerusalem. And that second mile Christian, a Christ follower like Hezekiah, takes God's word and I bend my worldview to his word. I bend the way I talk, the way I think, the things I do, the way I live out a life of, of passion and justice and changing the world to bend it to God's will rather than just simply watering it down according to what's convenient for me on the high places. And so he removed the high places. The other thing he did is, uh, it goes back to the story with Moses in the wilderness. He, he destroyed the bronze snake that Moses had made. They called it Nehushtan. Here's kind of a Renaissance portrait of it, and nothing like what it probably actually was, but it's kind of a Renaissance uh, portrait of it. And you see the bronze snake, and they would look up at the bronze snake, and God would heal them. Now, that was great. 
And they saved it in a museum for 700 years. This happened in 1400 BC. This incident we're talking about happened 700 years in 700 BC. And for 700 years, they kept it as a museum piece. And people would take and bring their children to it and tell them the story about how God delivered them in the wilderness. And their children would worship God because of the story that was told based on this artifact. But somewhere over those 700 years, they began to worship the symbol rather than what it symbolized. And so Hezekiah comes in and he destroys this bronze snake that they had begun to worship. Now, it says in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, what do you think should follow? They lived happily ever after. He destroyed the idols. They were unified. They worshiped God. Uh, They they were generous. Uh, They did all these things. Um, And you would think after all he had faithfully done, God blessed him for the next hundred years and blessed the nation of Judah as well. After all that Hezekiah had done so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. How many of you have taken a bold step for God and literally all hell broke out in your life? Satan begins to attack. Sennacherib, we'll put his picture up there from archaeology. This is an archaeology piece that uh, does a rendition of Sennacherib. He was the, over the king of the greatest empire in world history at that time. We'll see a map of where Assyria, all that it went. He was the greatest king of any king of that time or any in history until that time. And so that's what happens. You, you, if you're not serious about God, Satan leaves you alone. He's got you right where he wants you to be. But as soon as you start, as soon as I start destroying the high places in my heart, in my mind, in my life, now he's uptight, and that's when he attacks. And then number seven, he stood up to the greatest power in the world at that time. He stood up to the greatest power in the world at that time. Last Sunday, my my daughter Leah and I um, went to visit my other daughter, Abby, uh, for the weekend in Washington, D.C. And Leah and I got a chance to go to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, which is such a beautiful memorial. Uh, It's just about a year old, and it was so thrilling to be there just a few days after the 50th march, um, that they were uh, the 50th anniversary of the march, the Freedom March, in which he did his I Have a Dream uh, speech. And it was just a thrill to be there just a few days after that. And what I love about this particular particular um, one in in D.C., this monument, is they had a bunch of his quotes uh, there all through it. And and they're just the most powerful quotes, you know, uh, scattered all through. Here are two of my favorites. Uh, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And here's one of my all-time favorites. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. How many of you ever feel like evil is triumphant in our world? Okay, but just you remember, right, the right thing, temporarily defeated, is still stronger than evil, even when it's triumphant. And that's what Hezekiah did. He stood before the face of evil, and it looked like he was gonna be defeated. The Assyrians were the terrorists of their times. Historians tell us that what they would do when they besieged a new city is they would take all the heads of the leaders. They would cut off the heads of the leaders of the previous city that they had defeated, and they would impale them on poles, and then they would march around the current city they were besieging as an act of terrorism to terrify the people. They were experts in engaging in psychological warfare. 
Notice what they do to Israel here. It's very similar to Satan's psychological warfare with whatever you're going through in your life right now. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? See, Satan, in something you're going through in your life right now, is trying to shake your confidence. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? But if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? You ever do something for God that's bold and, and things go wrong? And so you begin to think, well, maybe I kind of messed things up. Maybe that was not right. I mean, after all, God was being worshiped in those high places. Maybe I did the wrong thing by removing them. Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before only the altar in Jerusalem. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? You know, maybe God's punishing you for wrongdoing in your life. And we always have some wrongdoing in our lives, don't we? So whenever anything bad happens, it's a great temptation to say, oh, this must be punishment for, you know, this area of my life. Because we always have sin, but it's forgiven sin. Remember that. The grace of God, it's forgiven sin. But he says to him, the Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah, said to the field commander, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people that were listening in on this parley uh, from the wall. But the commander replied, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall? And here's passages I believe God includes in the Bible for junior hires that read the Bible who like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. And the junior higher said, oh, wow, that's cool. Is that in the Bible? Um, I remember, I think I've told you the story about when, um, you know, in the old days, when I was a boy, we had to sit through three worship services every week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And our pastor, we had a very wonderful pastor, and he was very interesting. But I tell you, when you're 11 or 12 years old, about the third time in the week, you're, you're looking for something to interest you. So the pastor's son would only sit with my family because his dad was preaching, and he was my best, my pastor's son was my best friend. His dad was preaching, his mom was in the choir, so he'd sit with me and, 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 and with my family. And what we'd do during his dad's sermons, um, we'd look up the word naked in the concordance at the back of the Bible. And we'd go through every place. We did this when we were like 27, 28 years old. No, no, I'm just kidding. Didn't we were, I don't know, 11 or 12. And so we'd, we'd be laughing over there and we'd look up the word naked and just find the word naked. Did a word study all through the Bible on the word naked. And my parents are so proud. They're like, look how they're searching the scriptures over there <laughs> to see if these things are true. They're like the Bereans, you know. They're listening to the message, seeing if these things are true. Okay, enough of that. Uh, that's for the junior hires. Okay. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Very interesting. If you guys will just go along with us, you'll have peace. Do you ever get tired of swimming upstream in the culture in which you live as a Christ follower? Do you ever get weary of always being different than the culture and society around you? Do you ever just get tired of it and and, and Satan says, look, just compromise. Just water down God's word. Come, make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey 
Choose life and not death. Satan will say, live your life to the fullest here. Grab it here. Just get along here. Enjoy your life here. Remember Jesus warned us? He said if anyone would try to hang on to their life here, they're going to lose it in the end. But anybody who lays down their life here will find it once again for eternity. And so he tempts them in this way. And they sprinkle a little bit of truth in there. Satan will do that. He'll sprinkle a little bit of truth in with the air. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? That's actually true. That's true. And so he mixes in some truth. Now, I love this next verse. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. There's an artist's rendition of that. He takes this letter from Sennacherib, and he spreads it out before the Lord. Did you get a tough doctor's diagnosis recently? Take that before the Lord and spread it out. Um, Have you gotten a pile of bills that are waiting for you on your dining room table when you get home after church? Spread them out before the Lord. Did you get a pink slip laid off at work within the last month or so? Spread that out before the Lord. Did you get a bad report card that's just broken your heart and shaken your future? Bring it in. Spread it before the Lord. Um, today, we have our, our prayer room open, and the, and the deacons will be there. And Whatever needed is physical, spiritual, relational. As soon as the service is over, that door is going to be open, and you can go in there, and they would love to just pray with you as you take whatever it is that's breaking your heart or scaring you or terrifying you here this morning, and you come in the Lord's presence, and you spread it before the Lord. Well, he did that, and God stepped in. And delivered him in an amazing way. Now, when it says weak finish, the first one actually that I've got of two things in his weak finish. The first one is not actually a weak finish, but it leads to the second one. Number one, he did not accept the time of his death. He's about 38 or 39 years old, which according to longevity back then, it would be similar to like about my age. Think of him as in his 50s, you know, based on they live shorter in this time period than they do today. But he's about 38 or 39, and he gets a doctor's diagnosis from God that says, put your affairs in order, you're going to die. And he cries out to God, which is totally appropriate. That's why with physical needs, we have the deacons that would love to anoint you with oil and pray for you in accordance with James chapter 5. He cries out to God, and God gives him another 15 years of his life. Now, that's, that's great, and, and, and we would all want to do that, and, and, we, and we should do that. But here's the key. How do you use those next 15 years of your life? How do you use them? Now, if you take those years and invest them for the cause of Christ, that is a blessed thing. But you see, Hezekiah took them and just selfishly in in, in pride enjoyed all of his accomplishments. He got overconfident because he had done all these great things. So God gives him another 15 years and he just kind of uses it. And, And you can read on your own about how he became prideful in his old age and one of the mistakes he made. Um, he also had a, a child in his old age that he didn't invest in as much named Manasseh. We're going to study him in about three weeks or so. First Sunday in October, we're going to study Manasseh. And that was very, very problematic. And so he kind of coasted those last 15 years that God gave him rather than investing them. And just a reminder, and I want to be so careful because some of you have lost children. Some of you are facing, you know, 
tough diagnoses. Some of you have lost teenagers, and, and I in no way, you be comforted by God's word, not by me. I mean, I lost a sister when she was 54 and, uh, to cancer, and, and that broke our hearts, and oh, we wanted another 15 or 20 or 30 years with her, but I'm not trying to compare that limited experience with some of you that have lost children much younger than that, or, or, or family members or friends. But here's the important point from this. For the Christ follower, the follower of Christ, for the Christian, in light of eternity, death is not the worst thing. And early death, honoring Christ, is way better than getting an extra 15 years in which you mess up. It really is. I mean, I have a deal with God that, God, if I'm going to mess up in some way that's going to disgrace you and the body of Christ, please just take me out. And so if you're at my funeral and somebody gets up and says, he was about to mess up. (laughs) God took him out. Who knows what he was about to get into? We're thankful he's gone. Uh, You know, but, but here's the thing. For the, for the follower of Christ with eternity, one moment in eternity, and we'll realize that it is far better to go out now with honor, honoring Christ, than to get an extra 15 years and make some of the mistakes um, that Hezekiah made. Isaiah 57, I hope this verse is an encouragement to you that have lost somebody young in life. The righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. That loved one of yours, and I know how much you miss them, but they might have been taken early to spare them from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. And we may miss them, but they're having the time of their lives. Let's stand for our closing benediction. And uh, as we do this closing benediction, this is kind of a a prayer, not only for this series, for this fall, but for this entire year, as God is going to do, I believe, some amazing things in the life of our church to keep the momentum going until Christ returns. And just a reminder that the prayer room is open And the deacons would love to pray with you if that would be an encouragement to you in any way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and all God's family said. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.